Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. This right here is a big episode, Jeff. Big episode. John Legend's on the podcast. And It's The Real. It's The Real's on the It's The Real podcast. <laughs> huge, huge week. That's a big get for us. Yeah. John Legend and us. Well, I mean, you know, if, if people want to leave a comment, say who you're more excited about. Well, you know what? There's been a lot of comments on Instagram, on Twitter. In real life, people came up to us at Della's party out in Brooklyn on Saturday night. They Shout were like, Della. They were like, yo, this is a big get. And, uh... And it is. It is. It's a big get, but it, it it is funny to me that people seem like we're meeting John for the first time, and that's that's just not the case. No, we've you, uh, you met John probably like what fifteen years ago. Uh, yeah, I did right before college dropout. I I met John. I was working with Kanye. We uh we also later on maybe ten years later sold a TV show with John Legend as a as a producer. Yeah, and. In that in-between point, though, there, there, was, there was a time when we didn't know him, or, or maybe he didn't know he of He definitely did not know us. Our would, career. No, absolutely not. No. He, uh, I would say it wasn't like a time. It was an era. Yeah. This, it was an epoch. This was, <laughs> this was around uh, 2011, 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. And we had uh, a, a mixtape that we were putting out with DJ Drama called Urbane Outfitters Volume 1. And we had a song for John Legend in which we were also getting Alicia Keys and Melanie Fiona and, and some other R&B singers. And uh, it was going to be this big inspirational ballad with us. Yeah. And we wanted John on it. And we reached out through his management, uh, Ty Glorious. Mm-hmm. We say, hi, I'm Eric Rosenthal. This is my brother, Jeff Rosenthal. And together, we're It's The Real. We're hip-hop sketch comedians. And we have the greatest idea for John Legend, and we're getting Alicia Keys on it, and Melanie Fiona on it, and a bunch of other people, and it's going to be this big ballady song that is very inspirational, and it's going to be funny as hell, and we really, really, really want John on it. And also, like, you know, here's all these other things that we've done in our career. We've worked with Camera, worked with Nick Cannon, and all lot, these people. A lot of history, yeah. yeah. And so she's like, oh my god, that's all fascinating. You know, I had no idea that you were doing all this. Hip hop sketch comedians, and she's like, "Next time I'm in in New York City, let's get drinks." And we were like, "Yo, this right here is, is going so, so well, so easy. <laughs> How did this become so easy? <laughs> Why do we wait this long?" Yeah. So she comes to town. We email her again, and we say, hey, since you're in New York, can we sit down, pitch you in person, really sell you on how big this idea is going to be? And she was like, absolutely. And so we go downtown to uh, Lore Bar, which is this uh, seafood place in Soho. Yeah, Prince Street. And we we go there, and we're looking around. We don't see her, and and she emails us and says, hey, guys, uh, I'm just finishing up something right now, but uh, wait by the bar. And, and we'll connect in a few minutes. So we're like, cool. So we're looking around. And then we finally get an email. And she says, maybe five minutes later, mm-hmm. hey, uh, you know, I'm in this corner at this booth um, with my friend. You can, you can come over now. So we go over there and we sit down and we're like, hi, I'm Eric. I'm Jeff Rosenthal. And she was like, well, here's the thing. <laughs> I thought you were a different Jeff Rosenthal. <laughs> Jeff Rosenthal. From the big, uh, famous rich people getaway called Summit Series. Yeah, so he basically like takes like all rich people and he puts them in Utah and they have like <laughs> corporate meetings out there. That's that's not you. That's not me. And she was like, I thought Jeff Rosenthal from Summit Series had this side <laughs> career as a hip hop sketch comedian, and I was ready to get John Legend to <laughs> sing with him. 
You're not that Jeff Rosenthal. No, I'm not. Although a lot of people, she's not the, she is the first person to make that mistake. A lot of people hit me up on Facebook regularly and say, hey, can I get you, you know, to get me into the Summit series or whatever. And I'm like, you know who I, these are, these are people who like. They think you have a side career doing that getaway. Yeah. And these are people who actually follow my career. So, uh. Anyway, so an even funnier thing about that is is that Ty became our manager. (laughs) (laughs) Ty became our manager because of that. She loved what we brought to the table, quite literally, and she became our manager. She and John and Mike Jackson went on to uh, help us sell a television show. Uh, Shout out to Ty. Shout out to Mike Jackson, and big shout out to John Legend who. Uh, he has wanted to be on this podcast for a very long time, which is bizarre. No, it's not bizarre. It He's is. a fan. I know. He's but excited. It, it's it, it was like we had done maybe like five episodes, ten episodes, and he was like, "How come you haven't invited me?" Well, listen, he had to prove himself. Yeah, you know, it, it wasn't his time. No, he had, we had to do another two hundred episodes before we were like, you know what. John Legend's all right. Yeah. So he, John Legend, he's got a story to tell. Is all right. It's more than all right. This is a this is a big episode. It's a big episode. Shout out to John Legend and shout out, big shout out to our friends over at Nightbird Studios, our favorite studio out there in Los Angeles. Shout out to our friend Angelo Caputo. Shout out to the engineers Richard and Todd. They all took care of us. It was a great experience and. We love stopping by Nightbird every time we're in L.A. And this episode sounds so great because of them. And us. And us. And John. And John. And Ty. And Ty. And Mike Jackson. And Mike. And Chrissy. And Chrissy. And uh, Luna. And Luna. And Miles. And Miles. And Arthur the and- Bear. <laughs> Who is Arthur? <laughs> yes. Big, big, big shout out to <laughs> Is he a bear? Yeah. Oh. Uh, Aardvark? I don't Arthur the Aardvark? Yeah, now I'm confused. What is he? I don't know. He's not human. Big shout out to John. (laughs) Big shout out to PBS. (laughs) Shout out to everyone who was involved in making this happen. Us. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Great episode with John. Jeff, before we get into the three episodes that you want to recommend to anybody who's new, who's interested in listening to more episodes of this podcast... I did want to send a huge, huge shout out to Jordan Johnson on the USS Kearsarge. I understand that he is a regular listener as soon as he can get near some internet access and download our episodes. Thank you to you and your crewmates out there for your service. And also for the internet service that you are getting right now. (laughs) Also, shout out to your mom because his mother, Misty... Hits us up, and she she hit us up probably in, I think, in December. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'm a white lady. I'm 49 years old, and I listen to your podcast so that I can, you know, relate to my kids. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. She says she learned something from our interviews and that they're stellar. She couldn't be more kind. Thank you to Misty. Thank you to Jordan. And thank you to everybody who's tuning in on a regular basis. Jeff, do you have three suggestions for the people? I'd just like to say, I forget about this every single week until you bring it up. Do you really? Yeah. Oh. Number 237. Yeah. With Hassan Minaj. Shout out to Hassan Minaj. This was a big get for us. Big episode. A lot of fun. But also very political. Very political. Patriot Act is the show on Netflix. Go watch that right now. Hassan Minaj, super smart, super funny, and actually, Jeff, just played in the celebrity game down at NBA All-Star Weekend in Charlotte. Just two days ago. Yeah. Did you see the face he made when Cole uh, dunked? I did. It was it was pure elation. Yes. Well, Cole missed it, though. Yeah, I know. But, I mean, you can't say, like, when Cole attempted to dunk. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and by the way, it. like shots to Cole. Yeah. You know, a 33 year old who had not stretched. Yeah. Who just you know went up and and put on a show. Yeah. Uh, number one twenty, Killer Mike. Shout out to Killer Mike. Is this the one where he interviewed us? This is the one where he interviewed us. You were Shout- there. I, I was there. That was a big episode. Shout out to Killer Mike. Also on Netflix, it's called Trigger Warning. Is this a theme, Jeff? What everybody gets a Netflix show? Yes. Yeah, John. If you want to get into business with us again, <laughs> let's sell another Netflix show. Shout out to Killer Mike. That episode was really important to us because number one, Killer Mike is insanely smart and has a lot of history and understands our career, was a big fan of ours, and to hear him dive into our history and and really bring some things out of us that I don't know that we thought about was really amazing. And secondly, he invited us into his home. So often we have people come over to our home to record. How nice was it of Mike and Shay to invite us into their house? How about episode number 174 with Nabil Elderkin? Shout out to Nabil, who was Kanye's personal photographer and also is the guy who introduced John Legend and Chrissy Teigen on set for the music video that he directed and... Has a Netflix show. Has a Netflix show. Shout out to Nabil. (laughs) Uh, Guys, go check out those episodes. All 240-something of them are available. Anywhere where you listen to this podcast, go listen to the rest of them. Jeff, when do you want to get into this one? Right now. All right. All right. Finally. I know. (laughs) Start recording now. Might as well get it popping. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Big Shit Talking, a.k.a. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Hit the Pot, then I peel off, a.k.a. Rice. What up? It's John Lennon. <laughs> yes, your third favorite podcast, Waste of Time with the Real. John, what's happening? What's up, guys? Everything's good. This has been so long in the making. So long in the making. But here we are. I've always wanted to do it. We just never got it together. Yeah, that was weird, by the way. <laughs> when you like actually suggested, like three years ago, very early on, you were like, how come you haven't invited me? We were like, what? <laughs> exactly. I was offended. Do you think it's because now we've had Nabil on and Brian Nolan on and, and Yvette, Yvette. <laughs> yeah, Naima, yep. everybody who knows me? <laughs> They've been able to tell you all the dirt on me. Let me tell my own story. <laughs> John, you're you're originally from Ohio. Springfield, Ohio. You went to an East Coast school. University of Pennsylvania. Um, you spent a lot of time in New York. Do you ever sit back and like honestly look at your surroundings here and say, like, I, I can't believe I've become a Los Angeles guy? It's it's really gorgeous it out is. here. It's like wow. By the way, it's miserable weather at home right now. Yeah, so. it's like, how is it seventy degrees right now? And the sun is shining. We had a week of rain and the apocalypse felt like it happened. <laughs> but no, uh, it's beautiful out here. I still miss New York. I still miss a lot of aspects about New York. Do you like to complain about the weather and the uh, and the, the traffic and everything else out here? I think the traffic in New York is worse. I, I've experienced both and I think new york traffic is worse than la traffic damn well then this interview is over (laughs) (laughs) but you all have a a functioning (laughs) semi-functioning yeah uh, mass transit system yeah when's the last time you actually took the subway uh, it's been years, many years. It's probably early on when I was dating Chrissy, I took her down there a couple of times. As a date? Yeah, like something no, cute. No, yeah. just like, it was like, she's like, I never really ride the subway. Let's try it. <laughs> and uh, 
we weren't as famous as a couple at that time, so it was a little easier. But now it would be probably a, a little bit of a pain in the ass. Bun B and his and his wife Queenie came to town, and mm-hmm. and they wanted to hang out with us, and said, "Would you mind taking the subway with us?" So we did. And Bruno yeah. and Pete. And by the way, it lasted one stop. They were just like, "Good, good." Yeah, good. you're like, "Okay, I see how you." <laughs> but got they it. live okay, streamed the enough. entire thing. <laughs> well. I- I like the subway. I, I I had a corporate job my my first three years in New York, and that doing was, what? I was a management consultant. Oh well, at BCG. You didn't say it was so sexy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not very sexy. <laughs> I would take the six every day to work, and it was easy and easier than taking a cab most of the time, and quicker. Did you take the subway to your to your SOBs show? I didn't because I had a Rhodes in my trunk, and I had a little like. Honda Accord, and I would drive my Honda Accord to my shows, and we'd stick the roads in the trunk. And unload it yourself? Unload it myself. I would have to get somebody to help me, but yeah, I would I would carry it. And Screw in the legs One yourself? of my bandmates would do it, too. <laughs> yeah, we, we did the whole thing. Does that seem like forever ago? It does, but I really remember a lot of it. I really remember a lot of that time period, and uh, it was very formative, and... and like I wouldn't be here without it. Yeah, for sure. I remember those gigs a lot, though. Well, let's go back to the to the very beginning. What is growing up in Springfield like? Springfield is a town of about seventy thousand people. It's one of those towns whose population goes down over the years. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's in the industrial Midwest. My dad was a factory worker, mm. and he worked. Um, he built trucks for a living at a place called Navistar International, um, and. Uh, you know, he's a union worker, worked on the assembly line. My mother stayed at home with us. They both were tailors part-time. And uh, my mother and father taught us at home as well. So um, primarily my mother, they homeschooled us for several years when we were kids. Uh, we went to church a lot. My my grandparents uh, ran the church. My grandfather was the pastor. His uh, son, my Uncle Ray, was our pastor after my grandfather, after my grandfather retired. And then uh, my mother directed the choir. My grandmother was the organist. So I grew up in church, grew up playing gospel music, also took uh, classical piano lessons as a kid as well. Uh, But I was singing and playing since I was a little kid. Did you take care of your hands? What do you mean? Like, were you playing like football and like just? Oh yeah, I would that, play. Yeah, I, I, I was terrible. But <laughs> I, was, I I played all all, all the sports: kickball, football, yeah. volleyball, <laughs> basketball. We played uh, basketball and football the most. We had a little court in our backyard, and there were three boys in my family, immediate family, and then I had two cousins, boy cousins that lived around the corner, and we would all get together and play every sport, mostly basketball and touch football. We would play tackle football too, but that was only when we had access to the schoolyard that was near my cousin's house. And then a lot of times we would play touch football in the street in front of my cousin's house because they lived in like a quiet, like cul-de-sac kind of street. And we would play touch football in the street, but you could tackle if you're on the sidelines and you could knock them in the grass. Yeah. So, but but if you jam your finger up, then you're sort of like screwed in terms yeah, but of like I'm not, playing I'm chords. I'm thinking I'm a professional <laughs> pianist at the time. I'm like. You know, that's just another thing that I do. Did you think that you would like follow in your father's footsteps and, and work in a factory? No, I uh, I loved music back then. And I would watch, you know, Star Search and the Grammys and uh, all the shows where people would sing on television. I would think I was supposed to be there eventually. But, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was always one of the brighter kids in my class. I would always have really good grades. And so, you know, my teachers would 
single me out as like you know a star in the classroom so I felt like I could do a lot of things probably but I didn't know you know what that meant I didn't know what a management consultant was so I wasn't <laughs> dreaming about being that <laughs> you know when you grow up in a town like mine you think the epitome of you know of you know being a successful professional is being a doctor sure. or a lawyer so at that time that probably was my if I had like professional goals I'm like I can be a doctor or a lawyer I'm an a, I'm an A student. I should be a doctor. I mean, then you went to Penn, so like, why yeah. not? Yeah. Well, then you go to Penn, and actually, everybody's like, I want to be an investment banker or a <laughs> consultant. And um, well, how much of your high school graduating class went to uh, Ohio State University? And by the way, which Ohio State University is your favorite? The the Ohio. Oh State wow, Ohio State. <laughs> oh, the, not A or N. <laughs> the no, but uh, I'm a big Buckeyes fan. Actually, I I say that proudly, even though I didn't go to the school, but I grew up, you know, very close. Just to Just sing, it. hang on, Sloopy for us, real yeah. quick. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I am, and uh, I I was actually in touch with Urban Meyer for the first time uh, wow. last week. That was interesting, and he he sent me some swag from Ohio State. But Did he I, follow I, you back on Twitter? Um, I don't. No, that's a good question. <laughs> These are only good questions. But we have each other's cell numbers now? Does that, does that supersede that? No, uh, absolutely not. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I grew up, you know, like 45 minutes from Columbus, so I rooted for Ohio State my whole childhood. You weren't a Dayton Flyers fan? I, I still rooted for them, but it was like, it's like being in separate leagues. Wow. You know, you being know. real political, John. <laughs> no, I, I rooted for Dayton when they were playing against people, but, like, Ohio State was like a whole different league. You yeah. Know? It's like, you know, I don't know. You can refer Ohio State and refer <laughs> Penn. Like, it's not like but they're not gonna, for Penn State. They're not going to play. Yeah, you can't <laughs> refer Penn State. But they're not going to play each other, and it's not going to matter. So, so when you were applying to schools at the end of high school, where were you looking? Or was it just I a Penn? I applied to Harvard. I got in. I applied to Penn and got in. I applied to Morehouse and got in. I applied to Georgetown and got in, and I decided to go to Penn. Why? Because uh, Donald Trump had gone there. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> once you know Donald Trump's been there, <laughs> you're like, someone who plays a billionaire on television, I want to go to that school. <laughs> no, I, I, um, it was a combination of things. Uh, of course, it was an Ivy League school with great pedigree, but Harvard was too. Uh, but uh, Penn gave me a better financial aid offer and I needed it. And um, Penn flew me out for a recruiting trip and, and like, it just seemed to want me more and put their money in where their mouth was and uh so i went there what did they want you for i mean they had my whole application they knew who i was and and wanted me to be at their school um i was number two in my high school class no wow. big deal no big deal yeah, yeah. Uh, does that mean you get to speak at graduation i spoke at graduation i was also student body president wow. and uh wait what was your prom slogan king. yeah <laughs> well you were the prom king yeah wow i carved my I carved JRS for Prez in my hair. Well, my <laughs> brother, my brother, he's my barber still, and he did it back then too, and he put JRS. I never told that in an interview. See, look at you guys. Yeah, I know, scoops. I know, I know. Getting yeah. scoops. Yeah. <laughs> Huge headline right there. <laughs> so you get, to, you get to Penn. Do you give yourself a, a chance to sort of like reinvent yourself, or did you have an idea of who you wanted to be at that that young yeah, age. how long well, did you keep that JRS in your hair? Yeah. <laughs> it was it was just temporary. It was just for that. It grew back. Uh, it was for my the last day of elections. I was going against uh, Richard Bobbitt, who was a wonderful guy. Uh, so Bobbitt. Yeah. It might be Bobbitt. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, never mind. Okay, yeah, I'm, yeah. I feel like I'm mixing him up with the guy that got his um, yeah. yeah cut off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he was a great guy. I was running against him and I think one other guy and and. 
Brian Brian Yance. Yeah. Did you follow through on your promises? Of course I did. <laughs> and uh, so I I cut my hair back to normal mm-hmm. uh, after that, and uh, and that's that's done at the end of your junior year, and then you become president. You know. And you settle in it at Penn, and and you get into what kind of activities out there? I was in a cappella group. Um, you what guys, was the name of your a cappella group? You guys know my manager, Ty Glory. We do. He was in it with me. Yeah. And uh, um, it was a group called Counterparts. Um, and uh, yeah, we sang like jazz, R&B, pop, uh, a little mix of all that. Are there competitions? Acapella oh, competitions? Oh yeah, we were in competitions. We made it to Carnegie Hall. Whoa. Big uh, national competition. It was like... It was like pitch perfect, but you know, but we actually sang in real life. <laughs> I mean, like pitch perfect, you can hear all the overdubbing and all that stuff in the performances, but we, we sang it all live. Did your parents see you perform at, at uh, Carnegie Hall? Uh, my parents did not, but you know, a lot of our friends from school came up and it was it was a big deal. That was my first time at Carnegie Hall. That's big. Yeah. That's big. So, so that was my first time in New York, actually, was performing uh, at Carnegie Hall. Did New York feel exciting or, or overwhelming? The traffic was terrible. <laughs> you do have a problem with New York City you know, traffic. No, I, I take that back. That was my second time in New York. The first time I went was with the group as well. We went there on fall break to sing at some event with alumni. And then the second time was with counterparts. Has has being well. an alumnus uh, gotten you anything, you think? like like From Penn? Yeah. yeah. It gets me approached by every Penn <laughs> alumnus, alum, alumna, yeah. uh, everywhere I go. Do they still ask so you for I, money? I probably met more Penn grads than any human alive. And you're still doing work for the Ohio State University. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your donations. <laughs> so, um, but wh- while you're in school and you're doing acapella, are you in any other types of of like, I don't like know, groups and stuff? Yeah, or you. I was in Black Student League. Uh, I was in um, as uh, later on. I was in a couple honor societies. As you know, you get selected for those later on. Um, I was playing, uh, piano and directing the choir at a church, uh, it's in Scranton, which is like uh, not actually in Philadelphia. It's pretty far from Philadelphia. A couple hours I would drive up there every weekend. In the Accord? Uh, in the Chevrolet Celebrity that I brought from Ohio and the church came together and helped buy me the Honda Accord because I was driving back and forth so much and the celebrity was on his last leg. Whoa. But my first car was a celebrity. So like what what did the church mean to you growing up? Uh it was it was everything. It was my family, it was my musical outlet, it was it was my life uh, more than anything else. We, and we were homeschooled, so uh I wasn't in school a lot uh in elementary school. I didn't start going to public school until 8th grade. And uh and so it was my whole life musically, culturally, you know, it was where my family was based, basically. Um, so, yeah, it was everything. Uh, what was your family's hat game like? <laughs> oh, my mom's hat game is serious. Yeah. yeah. And it's still very serious. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw pictures from my birthday. But I did. Oh, yeah. My mom was there, and she wore one of her hats. And she always wears one of her hats, any special occasion. And also shouts to- Including uh, church. Pops Tops. Pops Tops. Yeah. Dad's hat game has evolved over the years. He started, you know, just buying hats and wearing them. And um, eventually he decided he wanted to kind of bridge the gap between the more uh, casual hat, like a baseball cap, and 
and a little more upscale hat, like a fedora or something like that. So he made a hat that's kind of in between the two. And it's, and it's Pops Tops. Yeah. That's dope. Go to PopsTops.com. P-O-P-Z, T-O-P-Z. A moment about your, your, your birthday party that was, it was a surprise birthday party, right? It wasn't a surprise. Oh, okay, it was not. I was surprised. I was, <laughs> I knew the theme, but I had no uh, input in like decorating or planning or anything. And we stayed at a hotel the night before oh, so did. they could set the house up. Got mm-hmm. it. So I got to walk in and, and genuinely be surprised by the decor and the setup and everything. But I knew it was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's hard to be like, you know, hey, we're going to have a huge casino in your house. Surprise. Yes. <laughs> but uh, what is it like the day after? Oh, they managed to clean the interior of the house up the next morning. We were sitting on the couch watching TV like nothing ever happened inside. But the outside was a mess <laughs> because they had to cover up the pool, put these beams on it and like under it. I mean, in it mm-hmm. and uh, undergird the platform that everyone was going to be walking on, which I'd never seen. I know other people's parties have probably done that, but I'd never seen it happen. And so it was pretty intense. Wait, they Staten Island into your pool? (laughs) Is that what Staten Island is? Staten Island is like, it's, it's a trash heap, but I mean like, you know, that's what they like. It's, that is what exists on. It's a landfill. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they kind of landfill. I'm not calling your pool a trash heap. I'm just saying, I'm sure they kind of, they kind of landfilled my pool. And, uh, we were partying on it. Like the dance floor was there. The photo booth was on top of the pool. Like the whole, most of the party was on top of the pool and we, we survived. Was there any part of you that was worried about, uh, the landfill not holding? <laughs> you didn't know how to swim at that point. I believed, I believed. Yeah. Church. You had faith. Yeah. 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 I yeah. believed. Yeah. And, uh, I, I can swim enough to get to the end of the pool. You know, like my pool's not that big. I can swim enough to do that. But, I just started taking swim lessons yeah. so that I could be really competent, like so I could flow. I still never have floated in my life, and I'm. I feel like that's going to be my biggest challenge. Uh, but I can, I can like make it across the pool already before the lessons. But she's giving me way better technique, and uh, it's good to get the breathing uh, instructions and all these things that I just never had since I had lessons when I was like five or six, and I hated it and quit. And so I never really learned to swim. Like, uh, and my kids are learning to swim. They're already taking lessons. They've been taking them for months, and uh, and they don't hate it. Uh, and they love it. <laughs> and I didn't want to be like on vacation in the ocean or in the pool, and not be able to just enjoy myself freely. And so um, my dad started taking lessons in his 60s. Wow. And I decided I was going to start taking lessons after I just turned 40. So did you have those moments like on a boat somewhere where you're just like, hmm? Don't want to get too close to the edge. I would always just wear a life jacket. So I would do it. I would go in a life jacket than like a t-shirt. Yeah, I would go. (laughs) I would go in the water and uh, I would wear a life jacket. So you did float. Yeah. 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 So (laughs) I float in that way, but I want to be able to like go without the life jacket. And so, are you taking the lessons with your kids too? No, it's separate. Okay. She gives me my own. You know, I I've been doing. Are you more advanced than your kids? Yeah, okay, yeah, like my daughter can't swim across the the pool. Yeah, uh, well, you don't right? have to yeah. like rub it in. I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sorry. Like like, she's two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like you're sunning her. She's not going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> I have to. I hate to tell she's you. She's not this. a regular listener. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe, rate, and comment. Wait, but wait, how did you find an instructor? Uh, it was through our baby nurse who had worked with other kids who had gotten lessons, and the same instructor that's teaching my kids is teaching me. Oh, gotcha. So uh, our kids got the instructor first. And then I was like, do you do adults? <laughs> <laughs> she, she said, yes, of course. 
And uh, as soon as I tweeted about it, it was like a big deal because a lot of adults don't know how to swim. And a lot of people that want to encourage adults to swim are like, I'm so glad you tweeted this so people don't feel ashamed uh, of learning as adults. And I think it's a good thing to learn. Well, by the way, a lot of things that you do just like on a whim, like you'll tweet you and you or Christy will tweet something and then it's just like headlines for like anything. Yeah, everything we tweet is a headline. Uh, John is the, is the king of R&B. We're yeah, like yeah. a listicle bait <laughs> and, you know. It's like people have to tweet about it. I mean, uh, make articles about our tweets. And, you know, I guess that's how some people make a living. So that's how we make a living. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's uh, besides swimming? What's something else that Luna is better than you at? Uh, she she looks better in her aerial wigs. <laughs> is there anything else now that you've missed out on uh, over the previous 40 years that you really are just really trying to get into right now? Besides swimming, <laughs> <laughs> I was never a parent. Yeah, until yeah, two and a half yeah. years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, I, I mean, there's a lot of fun things you you can do. Uh, you know, leading up to being a parent, but like, it's really cool. Yeah, you know, I love being a parent, and uh, and uh, it's like a whole, it's a whole new thing. Towards the end of college, when you're looking to sort of like make that next step wherever you go, a lot of kids from the Midwest uh, find themselves in Chicago. You yeah. you decided to go to New York. Yeah. Why? What brought you to New York? Well, I went to Penn, and if you know anything about Penn alumni, every they're all Jewish. <laughs> yes, one, and they all go back to New York. Yeah. <laughs> when I say back, it's because a lot of them came from there in the first place. But like a lot of my friends grew up in the city or on Long Island or upstate a little bit, like in you know next, Westchester, yeah, yeah. Westchester, yeah. Or, yeah. you know what's the other county? Uh, Rockland, Rockland County, you know, all those counties right there. So a lot of my friends were from that area. A lot of them went back to New York to work um, right after school. And my first job actually um, at BCG started in Boston. I worked there for a year and then I asked for a transfer to New York because I knew that for my music career, I really would be better off in New York than in Boston. And I wanted to be done at BCG, you know, not because it was a terrible place to work, because I wanted to be a musician. Uh, I wanted to be done there within a couple years, but I ended up staying there for three years. And it took me a little longer to get a record deal than I thought it would. But I was making demos and writing songs in college. And I played on Lauryn Hill's album in college. And uh, I always thought me getting signed was just around the corner, but around the corner took like six years of me trying. Were people like, listening to your stuff at least yes yeah. so you know I, I was doing the you know playing it for playing it for managers playing it for record uh execs a and r's uh, taking meetings uh playing it for people who were friends with people who were a and r's you know just just trying to get it out to people producers um and uh you know i had two roommates um we lived in a in a three-bedroom place in the East Village and walk up or uh, walk up. Yep. Yeah, we lived on the third floor um, and I would carry that roads up and down for my gigs. You know, <laughs> I would I have to call one of my friends and be like, can you come up and <laughs> can you come help me carry the roads up and down? the? So the would stairs? you take the roads to like one of the buildings to play for different A&Rs or not? Most of the time, usually they would have a piano mm -hmm. in, the, in the in the record in the lobby, <laughs> in the lobby or in the, sometimes they have a little upright in, in the little lounges or yeah. different areas. Um, and so I would play and I would play my demo I had worked on with 
uh, started out working with a guy named Dan Coleman, who was an alumnus of Penn and also sang Counterparts, the group I was in. And then uh, after that, I started working with a guy named Dave Tozer, who you guys have heard his work on my albums, you know, since the beginning of my career. Um, he didn't work on the last one, Darkness and Light, but he worked on Love in the Future and all the previous ones uh, before that. And we had started working together while I was still in school. And then once I moved to New York, a guy named Kanye West moved to New York um, not too long after I did. And I was roommates with his cousin. So uh, Devon Harris mm -hmm. uh, was my classmate at Penn. We were roommates at Penn a couple years. And we were roommates in New York for a few years as well. And he was like, my cousin's moving out here. Um, and... Um, he just made some beats for the blueprint and and some other Rockefeller records and uh he's coming from Chicago moved to uh Newark um and um I think you guys should work together he's really soulful he's got a good sensibility and I feel like you guys will you know make some good music together huh. and so yeah <laughs> who knew and then he knew and then um and then um he invited Kanye to a show that I did at Jimmy's Uptown in Harlem. Wow. And uh, it's one of those shows where I carried my roads up the stairs and we did the gig. It was like a weeknight in, uh, I think, the late spring or early summer. Uh, we recorded that night and used to sell that as a live recording, live at Jimmy's Uptown. Uh, so if you ever stumble on that, that was the night I met Kanye. Um, 2001. And we met, and not long after that, we started making tracks together. So he would help me with my demo. He would give me beats for it. And then I would sing on um, his tracks. He was making a demo for him as a rapper. Um, but course, there's also so many, like, random ones that you would sing on, like, for, like, like White Boy. Do you remember that song? Yeah, but that was all after Kanye. So, so like Kanye set me up to do all those random features. Yeah. So he was producing for all those people. And um, eventually we decided that I would sign to his production company and which eventually became good music. And, um, you know, he would be making beats for everybody and he would, you know, that would be his end to feature artists that were working with him. Consequence was working with him, GLC, um, uh, quite a few different people but I was the only singer that was signed to his production company and so whenever there was an opportunity to feature a singer he would find that opportunity and and uh try to angle me into any kind of opportunity so before I had a record deal um I would sing on white boys <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh and then uh slum village yeah. and uh dilated peoples and uh and Kanye's of course and uh consequence consequence yeah. Um, and just a lot of people that were working with Kanye. Encore, I sang on with Jay-Z. Um, I sang Background and, and did a little writing with Alicia Keys uh, on tracks that Kanye was was uh, working on with her. So, Would you go uh, to Baseline? Yeah, we'd go to Baseline. A lot of our work was at Quad and uh, Chung King and all over New York, all the studios that disappeared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you feel like just being like in these circles was like a better way in than maybe the playing for A&Rs and doing shows or doing demos? I think the combination worked because it was like the combination of me playing live and developing myself as a performer and developing an audience was helpful. 
Um, one of my shows was at SOBs. Kanye opened for me, wow. and no one knew who he was really. Yeah, he was like becoming big as a producer, but uh, my audience didn't know who he was yet because he wasn't like a household name in any way. Uh, and his, you were still John Stevens. I was maybe. I'm not, I'm not sure at that point. Uh, but he opened for me. I think I was still John Stevens because yes, because one of my friends said we want John Stevens <laughs> when when Kanye was performing. <laughs> we still laugh about that, but uh, yeah. <laughs> did you did you he, like he the just, like he's like it's hard. I think it's really hard for a rapper to sing songs to an audience that doesn't know the songs, because if the sound isn't perfect, you can't really understand what the lyrics are. You've never heard the lyrics before. It's really hard to enjoy rap live if you don't have that connection to the artist already. And um, and it's a tough room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've got the two big pillars there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you... So so uh, Kanye gave you the name John Legend. He did not. Oh. Um, a guy named Jay Ivey. Oh, yeah. He yeah. was a friend of ours. Um, I just saw him in a random commercial the other day. He's a, uh, he used to have dreads back then. Yeah. He was doing a lot of spoken word. And um, he's uh, really just a wonderful guy and a talented guy. And he, we were out here after Kanye's accident, um, like, you know, 2003. Uh, we were out here in Los Angeles, and uh, we were working at Record Plant and working on the college dropout. And uh, I was singing all these um, parts on the album, some were more featured, some were just background parts. And he was like, we're gonna have to start calling you the legend. And, uh, cause I was just doing, I was like, kind of like, just getting in where I fit in and doing all kinds of stuff. Um, and, you know, my voice always reminded people of a throwback to a different era. Mm -hmm. And I, I just think that, that name, the legend kind of resonated with him and it resonated with our crew. And uh, eventually that morphed into John Legend and, Kanye was like, man, you just got to call yourself John Legend. That's that's gonna be the ticket. And um, did you like the name at first? I just laughed at it. You know, I, I wasn't thinking about changing my name. I was fine with John Stevens. And now, in retrospect, I'm like, of course, I should be John Legend. <laughs> like, uh, clearly, that sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, but at the time, it, it felt weird. It felt like I was a put on a, a put on. It felt like um, like presumptuous really yeah. uh i mean you're how old i was you know it was like 2003 so and you have no like you have no music like out you're calling yourself john legend and you yeah, yeah. I, i'm like i don't even have a record deal <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how am i a fucking legend <laughs> uh but my, the other side of me was like well let's put it out there let's like say this is who i am let's say um that i believe that this can this can happen and then let's not go into my career worried that I'm going to fail and that this name will be some kind of joke. Yeah. Um, let's go into it trying to live up to it. How'd you explain it to your parents? Uh, I forget, honestly. <laughs> I, the hardest part was just telling my friends, like, just like, you know, just friends in New York, people I used to go to school with. Yeah. Like, yo, start calling me legend now. <laughs> 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 I had to like email my fan base, you know, people that have been going to my shows yeah. and like, listen, I'm changing my name. <laughs> that was like the weirdest part. 
Who are some of the Chicago guys who you hold like close to your heart from back then, like Happy or or like Really Doe or? I I don't see them all the time, but when I see them, yeah, people like Happy, Really Doe, uh, GLC, uh, Malik Youssef, uh, J Ivy, um, Don C, Ivan. You know, whenever I see them, it's like it really brings back really good memories from that time when we were all coming up together. And it's good to see all of them doing their own thing in, in various ways and fashion and, and you know, all the things that they're doing. Uh, not to, it's not good to skip to see too it. far ahead, mm-hmm. but what would you have worn if you were at that Paris Fashion Week? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the most boring... <laughs> Um, uh, you know, dresser of all those, all those uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful gentlemen. Uh, obviously, I would have been the least cool and the least exciting <laughs> in that group. You know, I have my fashion moments, but clearly, I'm not as adventurous as those guys <laughs> tend to be. So, when you were recording the college dropout, yes, did you did you feel it was something so yes. different that everyone later would, you know, obviously come to recognize as different? Yes. I I felt I got chills, you yeah. know, like there were moments we were working on Jesus Walks and uh Never Let Me Down and some of these tracks were just so epic. And I told Kanye while we were there, and I'm not prone to hyper hyperbole at all. I'm like Says not, the guy named Legend. I'm not no, <laughs> I'm just saying like I don't gas people up. Like I'm not I'm not that guy in Luna, the studio. Luna, you're awesome swimmer. I'm yeah. not that guy in the studio that thinks every song is gonna be the greatest song of all time as we're working on it. Mm-hmm. Uh I work with writers sometimes who are like, oh, my God, this song is the greatest. And I'm like, I'm like, uh, you know, it might be. Um, uh, I'm just never that guy. But in the studio, I was like, I, you know, I played on the Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. And I was like, I feel like this is the next thing that will like shake up the the industry in the same way. And it did. College Dropout comes out. Mm. Um, you guys uh, are touring around. Yeah, we're touring. The uh, College Dropout comes out in February 2004. I had already played all of the things on my demo for every record label beforehand. I was already signed to Good Music, and everybody didn't bite. I got maybe one small offer from Def Jam that wasn't that good, and we just held out. And How disappointing is that, by the way? It's just like, that's a legendary label, and you yeah, know, I mean, you could see yourself there. I... I I was disappointed by a lot of things. Like uh, there was a lot of labels that turned me. Every major label turned me down at some point. Um, Did any of them have notes for you, or no? It was just like a a hard no. No, it, it, a lot of people had notes, and they're you know like I don't know. Like, I don't hear any hits on here. Blah blah blah. And uh, it was it was get lifted basically. It was like I was playing them get lifted. So like though it did okay. <laughs> notably, the biggest hit from get lifted wasn't on my demo. Ordinary people. Um, uh, notably that's the only, one of the only songs I wrote after I got a deal, mm-hmm. but, um, so maybe they were right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you had a couple of other ones on there. Uh, used to love you did moderately well. So yeah. high did moderately well. Uh, but ordinary people was the biggest hit and, uh, it was the only one that wasn't written when I was shopping it around. Mm. So, uh, you know, I would go to all the labels and, you know, it didn't work out. And then as soon as college dropout came out, sold like 400,000 copies the first week and, uh, Everyone was like, oh, let's listen to John's <laughs> demo one more time. <laughs> These tracks sound a lot better now. <laughs> and so uh, I basically got signed off the same demo that was getting turned down before. Who was Ian or who signed you? Um, well, it was two. It's kind of a controversy at Columbia. 
Um, one's name is John Delp um, at Columbia. He's still there. And the other's name is KP, yeah, uh, Kwan Prather, yeah. uh, who a lot of you guys know. Um, he's worked in the industry for a long time. and I mean, he's been part of, you know, uh, the whole Dungeon family for a long time. And he worked on my career a lot, worked with Usher a lot, uh, worked with uh, Pharrell over the years. And uh, he's had his hands in a lot of really great music. And he's really talented DJ and just, you know, music guy and uh, still a friend of mine. And uh, he was there and he was basically my main A&R at Columbia uh, for my first few albums. So um, when you guys were touring, Mm -hmm. uh, the first time that I was really, really aware of you Mm -hmm. uh, was that our other brother Dan and I went down to a show you guys had in Asbury Park. Mm -hmm. Beautiful Asbury Park. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. and and. I saw you guys, and I think like maybe little brother was performing like with you guys, but certainly like you yeah. were you were introduced on stage. Um, Don C was DJ Offbeat, or maybe dilated people, maybe dilated yeah, people. Yeah, I feel like it might have been them at that point. And so we waited outside. The whole goal was to yeah. to because there was Hustle Films out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. I wanted to meet John Monopoly and Don yeah. C, so yeah. I waited outside. And I haven't seen Monopoly in years. We're gonna see, we're him, gonna tomorrow. see him tomorrow. Oh, yeah, right. um, and and. I introduced myself to Consequence, who was like, if you want to meet these guys, buy two of my mixtapes. And so I did. Uh-huh. And he signed them, which was very nice. Uh-huh. And then uh, this started this relationship with with those guys and with Kanye that uh, eventually brought me out here. But uh-huh. I was with all you guys and met you for the first time in rehearsals in New York before the launch of Good Music ah. at Duvet. Oh, wow. Um, that DJ oh, I remember Enough that Duvet party. At. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we, I was, I was... Kanye's videographer for that point oh, to let Kumi and Chike like you know it's all coming back to me yeah and and it was it was wild um, just to experience that from from my lens too right yeah. like and then um, obviously like uh, we know you today we're still friends with Don and and John Monopoly a track a track and and, and Nabil I met when uh, we came out here for the Grammys yeah. and 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 all that but it was it was magical for me but what was it like to be in the midst of it knowing that you were there at the inception and and seeing it recognized on on the biggest musical stage uh i mean it was amazing uh it was amazing to be part of the college dropout it was amazing to have that lead to me getting a record deal have it lead to me doing get lifted have it lead to all the opportunities that have come since i mean and seeing all the success that all of us and that crew have had over the years i mean it's crazy yeah who would have known we believed that this could happen, but like, did you feel like underdogs for a while? Yeah, I think everybody who's trying to get a record deal feels like an underdog, though. It's like everybody who's trying to get their music out there. It's like it's a combination of being like having the audacity to try, but also uh, feeling like these people don't know what they're missing out on. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I'm gonna show you. Yeah. <laughs> so, what was it like? Who who did reach out to Snoop to get him on the album? Uh, well. That's another a pen friend. Um, my friend Ted Chung is Snoop's manager. Yeah, yeah. And he's yep. been working with uh, Snoop for years. He grew up in Los Angeles, and he was rapping when he was like young, and when he was at Penn. Um, and we would all like make music together. And see, these we, are the the pen connections that really yeah, answer yeah. the question from before. Yeah, we all <laughs> hung out. Uh, D- DJ TJ was there too when I was wow. at Penn. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so, so that was a that was an easy phone call then to make oh yeah like ted and i are still friends like he was at my birthday party and uh uh we we text and talk you know occasionally and 
And did uh, Ted leave your uh, casino party up or down? <laughs> <laughs> it was all fake money. <laughs> Uh, his wife is like super pregnant right now, which wow, is exciting. Congratulations. Uh, go Ted and Shivana. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, um, well, what happens when you get that Snoop record back? I mean, are you just like, holy shit? I was in a studio with him. It was in oh. LA. Oh. Uh, I got to watch it all happen. It was exciting. Yeah. Yeah. He seems, we haven't met him yet. We might meet him actually uh-huh. while we're out here too, but, uh, he seems like the type of person who lives up to all expectations. What I love about him is he's himself. Like he's like, he knows who he is. He's really comfortable in his skin. I just saw him the other day. He's talking uh, about Ted, right? Yeah, Snoop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he he's 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 a uh, he's gonna be a guest uh, judge on our uh, Netflix show, yep. uh, Rhythm and Flow, and um, you know he's just he's Snoop all day, <laughs> and I think that's dope. I feel like that's like a to me that's like what shows when somebody's cool is like when they're them all yeah. day. It's yeah. like they're not. It's not a thing. It's not a it's not a, like an act they're putting on. They're like themselves. Well, so now start naming some celebrities who are not the way they seem. <laughs> <laughs> Do it, John. We want to go viral. No one will know. <laughs> hey, gang. It's Jeff here. Wait. Which Jeff? Jeff Rosenthal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Summit Series. Oh. Here I am. There's the twist. Live from Utah. <laughs> Jeff, I have a question for you. Yes. Where can I go if I want to get in and and rub elbows and hobnob and shake hands with the rich, with the elite, with the powerful? Come on down to itsthereal.com, my side hustle (laughs) that I do in the hip-hop space. (laughs) More specifically, if I go to itsthereal.com slash shop, what can I get? You can get some real business tips. That sounds right. Yeah, but what if I'm in the mood for a mug? You can get one of those mugs. You can put it on your desk here at Summit. Yeah, wh- what about a t-shirt? T-shirts feel so good in that hot Utah sun. Like like a like a Rough Riders t-shirt? You can wear that. You like can an, even get an, an AKA t-shirt? An AKA t-shirt in purple or black. Wow, I really would like to do that. Yeah, come be- on down. In between skiing and uh, toasting. Yeah, and, and and fixing the economy. That's right. That's what we want to do here yeah. at Summit Series. When we're coming up with policy, <laughs> you know what I like to say? It's com slash shop. Yeah. Go there now. Get your merch. Don't be a bummit, <laughs> says Jeff yeah. here at Summit. All right. Yeah. And now back to the podcast. Yep. Did you like speak about politics? Did you talk about politics with Kanye back in the day? No. Never. So then it just like it's only when he became more like vocal about these new politics. I just never thought of him as a political person ever. Um even with the the George Bush stuff? No. I just never did. I think I mean he he would talk about it occasionally on records and in public, but he's not particularly political. Like I have lots of friends that I'll just sit and talk about what's happening in politics, about policy, about just the game of it all, who's going to run, blah blah blah. Yeah, I don't, people, I don't imagine him like that. People I'm that just... are people that are like genuinely like stimulated by that kind of conversation. I've never known him to be that way. So that's why it's interesting to see all of this lately. It's like I just don't think of him as political. Was there any hesitation uh, on Sony's part for you to be political at any point in your career? They've never expressed expressed it to me ever, never like not once. And I, I feel like, um, in general, they've been, um, they just want me to be myself and be the best version of myself I can be. 
And I think most artists are best are at their best when they're telling their truth. And um, I feel like that's just part of who I am that I have that that's that's uh, that's part of me being myself. When is the first time that you actually were able to like embrace that side of yourself in a, in a, in a public sphere? Like, was that Bill Maher? Was that because I know you were on him fairly early. I forget. Yeah, I was on his show very early, um, and people were like, "Oh, I had no idea." You know, John was into this stuff and and had you know a point of view about this stuff. Um, you know, I when I was fifteen, I wrote an essay that basically. I'd already said that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a successful artist. It was a McDonald's essay. They did a Black History Makers of Tomorrow competition. And they said, how are you going to make black history? That was like the prompt. And my answer was, I'm going to become a successful musician. I'm going to use my position as a musician to try to make change and bring more justice and equality in the world. And so I knew when I was 15 that that's what I was going to do. Yeah, uh, I believed it. That's what I wanted to do. And um, so it was never like, it was never like a decision, oh, that's what I'm going to do, you know, once I was, you know, already signed and making records, it was never like a new decision for me. It was always part of the plan. Before like Twitter and before Instagram and all these different outlets that we have now, yeah. there weren't those opportunities. Exactly. So you, so you had to sort of like sit on it or you had to get your manager, whoever, to get you onto a TV show or do an op-ed yeah. or something. Yeah, um, uh, but we would start doing work, chari- charitable work that um, started connecting us to activists and people that were um, running nonprofits. And uh, I did a lot of reading and... Um, and I would just start paying attention to certain issues that I found interesting and uh, uh, thought I could have some leverage in those issues. And I just started talking about them. And once Twitter came around, it gives you an outlet to, to do so and connect with other people. It also gave me an uh, outlet to like read other people because yeah. um, people you know make fun of social media, but like uh, it's a great place to learn about other people's points of view. Yeah, like who are you, some of your favorite discoveries you, from like Twitter and stuff? If you use it that way. I mean, like Ta-Nehisi Coates, I wouldn't have known about except for Twitter. And uh, there's a whole bunch of like really cool writers that I follow. You just go down the list of people I follow and follow all of them because like, like uh, I find them interesting and uh, and I find their points of view interesting. I don't agree with everything everyone says that I follow, but uh, at least find them provocative and like uh, make me think about, they make me think about certain things and make me reconsider things that I've already thought. And I've seen myself evolve over time and pay more attention to certain issues that I hadn't thought about before. And uh, I think that's been the good side of social media. And I think you hear like certain comedians saying, you can't say shit anymore. You can't say anything. But I think what's happening is we're hearing other people's points of view, like people that didn't get their voices heard before. Like I didn't know any trans people like when I was uh, growing up. I didn't know any in my 20s. I didn't know any in my early 30s. Um, now trans people like, have more of a voice and so we're learning what offends them we're learning like what you know some terminology that makes them feel more comfortable and more like and people are like oh, i don't want to have to say they just you like get over it like can you just be a nice person be polite and like if someone says like i'd rather be referred to this way just say it it's not that hard so listen to people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> i feel like 
social media has allowed us to see people that weren't seen before and hear people that weren't heard before. Yeah. What is the most Upper West Side, New York Times reading, bleeding heart, liberal thing about you? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm... I'm I'm to the left of a lot of the Upper West Side. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to burn it all down. <laughs> well, like, I mean. Do you have Chris Hayes on your phone? <laughs> uh, yes, of course. <laughs> I, I listen to his podcast. I love Why Is This Happening. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, that. <laughs> Let's get back to, like, a good time in the White House. Mm-hmm. What is it like stepping foot in there? Do you remember the first time you went to the White House? Um, The first time... When was the first time? Was it to perform? You know, I don't. I don't think it was. I think we went on a tour pretty soon after uh, Obama got inaugurated. We were there for the inauguration, but we didn't go to the White House. Um, and pretty soon after he got inaugurated, I went there for like a random tour, like on a day we were we were already in D.C. for something else. Uh, and then I performed there, I think, the first time for a Motown tribute that they did. Uh, he, They would do, you know, those nights, yeah. those music nights. Yeah. Uh, and we did a Motown tribute. I sang Heard It Through the Grapevine. Um, and, um, yeah, so we had lots of different moments when we would come in and perform. I performed at the First Lady's uh, 50th, I think. Uh, Casino night. <laughs> <laughs> How's the sound at the White House? Well, people ask me how's the sound, but I always have ears on, so mm. oh, true. Yeah. my ears yeah. are the same yeah. everywhere <laughs> I go. So I don't know how it's is to you guys, <laughs> yeah. but I know what it sounds like. Better to than me. SOBs, <laughs> <laughs> two giant pillars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I always have e- my in ear monitors yeah. on, and so I hear a completely different mix than everybody hears outside. How well did you know Barack Obama as a senator? I, the first time I heard of him was when he spoke um, before he got elected at the uh, Democratic convention, mm-hmm. uh, where Kerry, you know, was nominated for uh, the Democratic nomination for president, and um, I was impressed by him. Uh, and uh, as soon as he did that, you know, people were the same kind of buzz they've had about you know Kamala or about Elizabeth Warren or other people over the years. That was he was that guy at that time. Um, and uh, everyone was like, watch out for him. Who knows? You know, uh, could be interesting. And so when I went to uh, Chicago on tour during the Once Again album, um, I went there and my uh, road manager, Hassan, was friends with one of his staffers uh, in the Senate office. Uh, and, you know, they were like, uh, Senator Obama would love for you to come by and just say hi. And so we went by there and just sat with him for like a half an hour, just talked about a little bit of everything. Um, And um, he hadn't decided if he was going to run or not. I think it was the fall or winter of of 2006, uh, because once again came out in, I think, late September of 2006 or mid-September. Were you the one to convince him to run? No. <laughs> can, can we run with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can yeah. try, yeah. but it's not true. Uh, the, But I did tell him, you know, if you decide to run, just let us know and we'll try to help out in any way that we can. And uh, and did you? Yeah. Yeah. I did indeed. <laughs> I lived up to my word. He yeah. The, he ran for president and the rest is history. Going back to the music, first time you met Will I Am? Yeah. What was that like? The first time I met Will I Am, I was managed by a guy named David Sonnenberg, mm-hmm. who uh, managed the Fugees and Lauren Hill and Wyclef, 
uh, as solo artists as well, and uh, eventually started managing the Black Eyed Peas. And um, I was introduced to him through my lawyer, um, who's still my lawyer now. I was his first client. His name is Aaron Rosenberg. Hmm. And he now is like, you know, Justin Bieber's lawyer <laughs> and J-Lo's and all kinds of huge artists. You made it hot. And yeah, yeah. I was his first client. <laughs> um, so anyway, and he went to high school with Devon, who's Kanye's cousin. So Devon introduced me to my lawyer and to Kanye. So I wouldn't be here without Devon. Yeah. So shout out to Devon. Anyway. Um, look at Penn. Look at Penn. <laughs> look at, look at Penn. <laughs> Black people at church, we say, look at God. So we're saying, look at Penn. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, Will I Am. So uh, my manager managed Will I Am, and we're start he knew I was working with Kanye already, but he was like, let me introduce you to some other producers that can help you make your, your record. And, uh, and the first one he thought to introduce me to was Will I Am. And the first session we had, we did She Don't Have to Know, uh, which is on uh, Get Lifted. Yeah. And um, that was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we did a few, uh, I think maybe one other track for there. No, I think that might have been the only track on Get Lifted. And then we did a few more for uh, uh, Once Again. And uh, I did some tracks for Black Eyed Peas. I did some, wrote some hooks with them. Ordinary and People then, wasn't oh, with oh, them? Oh, Ordinary People. <laughs> I forgot about that. Because yeah. <laughs> he didn't in, end up producing Ordinary People, so right. I forgot the context. Uh, but one of the sessions we did together was presumably a Black Eyed Peas session. It wasn't for my demo or for my album. Um, so Interscope paid for your biggest hit? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> so we're at, I think, uh, Hit Factory or Sony, one of those uh, studios up on uh, in, in Midtown West um, that don't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, and um, we're working on the Black Eyed Peas. And, you know, he enjoyed writing with me and he would have me just come in and write hooks for them that I wasn't intended to sing. But um, that, you know, who knows what would happen with them. He, I, we would just brainstorm ideas and he would play me beats and you know we see what would happen one of the beats was um kind of loosely uh modeled after the la 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 from um uh, my sharia Moore. yeah um and but he had kind of flipped it and done a lot to it but um a lot of the core underlying chords for ordinary people uh have a lot to do with that section of hmm. my sharia Moore. anyway uh, we're in there, and I'm. Just, I start singing. I always have a little handheld mic and just start singing mel melody ideas. And we the brothers of the people, we the brothers the people. Over the beat, and it's like a hip hop beat. And eventually, I I come up with the lines for it. We're just ordinary people. We don't know which way to go. Cause we're ordinary people. Maybe we should take it slow. Take it slow. Oh oh oh. All that happened in that session, and. I was into it, I loved it, and I, the more I thought about it, like after leaving the studio, I was like, I think that might be cooler as a ballad for me hmm. than um, as a hip hop, you know, hybrid, you know, yeah, something. futuristic, something <laughs> other, yeah. <laughs> um, I reached out to him, was like, let me, um, you know, let me uh, take that chorus with me, and, uh, <laughs> and I'll let you produce whatever I come up with. And this was like May of 2004, right after I got signed uh, to Sony. And uh, I was on the road with Kanye in Europe. And we were doing the first ever like big club tour, basically, of Europe for the college dropout. 
And during sound checks, I would write the verses for ordinary people. And so uh, it's a co-write with Will because we wrote the chorus together, but he never ended up producing <laughs> the final version because it ended up just being me on the piano. Humongous song. Um, yeah. Were you surprised how well it did at radio? I mean, yes and no. Like, I, I believed in the song. I knew it was... I could tell... You could just see people's reaction compared to other tracks. And everybody was into my album. And, you know, you would play it for people. and But the difference in the looks on people's faces when ordinary people came on, it was like, oh, this is something special. And very few times in my career have I had that market difference between the rest of the tracks on the album and a single song. All of me was like that as well. And mm -hmm. of course that uh, ended up doing That's it okay. It yeah, did it's okay. Right. Yeah. Um but like only a few songs in my career where, you know, you play them everything, you play them like your favorite five songs from the album and they're like, Oh, these are dope. But this song, oh my <laughs> God. They're like mesmerized by it. Yeah. And uh those two songs have been just two of a few songs that have had that effect on people. My first time in Europe, I was on the Rihanna plane. Oh, my, my, dope. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> the Rihanna plane. Oh, that was the one where she flew out a bunch of press. And, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It was 300 people I forgot people about that. Yeah, it was like the original Firefest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but my second time in Europe, um, I was in Paris by myself. Uh-huh. And we um, we were in business uh, together. We Eric and I had sold a TV show. You were a uh, producing partner yes. in that. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Eric was like, oh, my God, you're in Paris. John and Chris, you're in Paris. You guys yes. have to hang out. And so I was like, uh, I mean, you know. We, of I, course. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> we've met, like, one time, but sure. <laughs> and so um, I DM'd Chrissy on Twitter, mm -hmm. and she was like, oh, my God, absolutely come through to dinner tonight. Yeah. And that was your anniversary dinner. <laughs> Wait, that was our anniversary dinner? <laughs> or at least your anniversary. It was right before the Beyonce show. And so, oh, okay. and in hindsight, because <laughs> I was already, I was on my way to the airport anyway, so I wouldn't have made it. But in hindsight, would you have been cool with me being the third wheel <laughs> at your anniversary dinner? No. <laughs> no. I don't think Chrissy would have invited you to the anniversary dinner. I don't but know. We Chrissy were there, and I are pretty close. We were there on like an anniversary trip, so it might have been a dinner around our anniversary. However, one story she likes to tell is that one of my ex-hookups just randomly walked up to us when we were having our anniversary dinner. What? <laughs> <laughs> like, she's like very attractive girl. She walks up to us and, uh, hi, John. And she's like French, but uh, she was living in New York at the time we were hooking up and we weren't like serious, but, you know, clearly you could tell just from our interaction we had had the yeah. sex before yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so it was quite a moment <laughs> for us to be sitting there at our anniversary dinner <laughs> and have a different kind of third wheel yeah. show up <laughs> she wasn't mad at me chrissy wasn't mad but it was just a moment it was it was it's something for us to reminisce about over the years what's the weirdest way that chrissy's in introduced you to somebody no uh -oh. I don't know. I can't think of that. She refers to us as her black friends. Yeah. Oh. And there's a story behind that. Oh. But like we're going to save that for our podcast with her, I guess. Oh, right. Yeah. But, but uh, at your. I'm her black husband. At, at, <laughs> at your at your get lifted uh, 10th anniversary. Yes. Uh, in New York. Yes. And we were there that night. 
And she would introduce us to random people as uh, her, her black, black friends. friends. Yeah, like Kevin from The Office. And there was like, uh, there's, no, there's no context yeah. to it. It's just these are my black friends. I like it. <laughs> yeah. We got to explore this. I know. It'll confuse everybody when they listen to two Jews and a black guy. <laughs> Because if you guys are the black dudes, oh well, they're the real the Jews. Whole, though we get the enough stripes. Yeah, just, yeah, it's screwed. <laughs> like you know that like all the commenters, because we have the uh, people might not know we have a podcast called Two Jews and Two Black Dudes yes. Review the Movies. It's us and the Locks. Yeah. So and who are the two black dudes? It's a question. Right. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> also, but also all of the Locks's followers believe that according to the Bible, uh-huh. Styles oh, and Sheik are the yeah. real Jews. Oh, okay. And we're just like. And so I, cult- my brother's a culturally. Black, black Israelite. Does anyone look at Wale brother. standing next to Jerry Seinfeld and be like, which one's the Jew? Yeah. <laughs> my brother's a black my younger brother is a black Israelite, so shout out to him. Yeah. What does he think of our podcast? I know. He should come on. He's I don't know that he's listening to <laughs> it, but I'll, I'll discuss wow. it with him. So Luna hasn't listened, your I brother know, hasn't yeah. listened. Yeah. This is a family what, thing at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. John, you got married in Lake Como. Yes. We don't know the geography of Lake Como, mm-hmm. but like where is it in relation to George Clooney's property? Not far. Okay. Do you know him well? Uh, we're acquaintances. We've, we've is had, he a good neighbor? I mean, we've had dinner with him a couple of times and, and with them all. And, uh, maybe that's the most liberal thing about you, by the way, just <laughs> yeah. the most, like, white liberal thing about <laughs> <laughs> I have plenty of black liberal stuff, but that's very white liberal. <laughs> um, the, one of our favorite pictures of all time, and, and I guess it's probably one of your favorite too, is the Waffle House picture. Oh yeah, that was a good picture. How did that evening, tra- you know, end it up in Waffle House? It was a Super Bowl weekend, and we had all gone to. I think Kanye performed that night at one of those Directv you know, big parties they always throw, um, and uh, we were hanging out with Kim, uh, watching Kanye, and you're all dressed up. We we're like, let's go out <laughs> to eat. So we went out to eat. We had planned to go to some other chicken and waffles place, but it was closed. It was more like a, you know, like a little more upscale. Mm-hmm. And they were like, let's go to Waffle House. And what was the reaction when you walked in there? Everybody was like, oh, my God. <laughs> of course. And they're all looking at us like, oh, my God. And, and uh, Who took I, the picture? Uh, one of Chrissy's friends. Wow. We knew it was a moment. Yeah, like, yeah. obviously, we knew it was going to be like a social media moment. And uh, did anyone ask? So we milked it that <laughs> night to have their picture taken with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, all the wow. time. It's interesting. Those pictures didn't, you know, make a splash. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we we posted ours. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have a few more followers than the <laughs> <laughs> remainder of the Waffle House patrons. Your second, third, fourth, all your albums since your first one um, have a number of songs that we were just listening to right before we came down mm-hmm. here and and still have resonance with us. Is there a favorite album that you have? Um, is it your collaboration with The Roots? Is it your second album? I mean, like, what stands out to you? Uh, I have always had a special place in my heart for Once Again. Like, I mm-hmm. like... I personally like it more than Get Lifted. A lot of up-tempo stuff. And... Mm, no? Not really. It's like more moody. Mm. Uh, like, where did my baby go? Maxine and uh, Another Again. And uh, um, a lot of those, like, Save Room. Uh, I don't know. It was just kind of moody. Mm-hmm. And I still love it. Um, like, I listen to it now and still love it. Um, that might be my favorite album of mine. I love Wake Up. Um and I love um, Love in the Future. Dark, I mean, I love all my <laughs> albums. Like, obviously, I, I, I was proud of them when I made them. But um, the one I go back to more is probably Once Again and Wake Up. Mm-hmm. And then 
I listen to the Christmas album a lot still. It's dope. <laughs> my it's daughter, dope. <laughs> my daughter is obsessed with the Christmas album, and we have a record player in my dining room, and we will put the vinyl on in the dining room and dance, and like that's our father daughter like bonding that's activity. Nice. Yeah, and. Her number one request is Daddy's Christmas music. So wow, and even in January, probably in April, probably in <laughs> August. Listen, get your streams up. Right? <laughs> it has no effect on my streams because it's vinyl. It's vinyl. <laughs> Call it in. Yeah, <laughs> but I think I honestly think that's one of my best albums when it comes to like the musicality and like it's just really well done. Raphael produced it really beautifully, and the, all the playing is beautiful. But obviously, it's kind of yeah, of a season and. We'll bring it but back. But it doesn't have to be. But it will bring it back next season. Yeah. Like, I have that Alvin and the Chipmunks song stuck in my head all the time. <laughs> and there's no reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. And music is music. It, it feels good no matter what. But, you know, um, I th- our goal in making it and in in our thought going into it was making an album that would be perennial and and would feel like it was timeless and feel like a classic immediately. So that's what we were going for, and hopefully it will live up to that. Do you ever go to, like, um, like Nordstrom or whatever and just start playing on the piano? Not really. We did it We did it in the uh, train station in London as, like, a gag. Like, it was, a like, a PR stunt, of course. <laughs> but it, I didn't ever describe it as that. <laughs> but, but it was, like, a, we had a new single coming out, and uh, uh, I played in the train station it was really cool yeah but we called the press beforehand <laughs> what's the best piano that you've played on that's not yours i don't know i mean coolest i've played on like elton john piano wow um yeah i've played on some you know storied pianos let's put it that way but i'm not sure what sounded the best but do you like when you when you play on elton john's yeah. Do you like go all out and do like you know um, I'm still standing or something? Like, <laughs> you know, like, something that's like totally Elton John. Um, well, we did a duet together. Um, yeah, but that's mo- that's like half Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> do you go full Elton? Yeah. No, I, I mean I don't go out of my way. I, I feel I feel weird. <laughs> it's like going to, to Guitar Center. I'm like and, he's yeah. right here. Like yeah. <laughs> we wanted to hear what Elton John song sounded like. Just asked him to play one. Can you talk about Stevie Wonder for a little bit? Yeah, of course. Do it for like half an hour. Yeah, just go. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what's he like as a as a human being? He's really generous. He's really funny. Um, he's really soulful. He's like he's a really good human being, as far as I can tell. And I've spent a lot of time with him, both musically. The first time we worked together was um, singing a mashup of "Ordinary People" and "My Sharia Moore" at the BET Awards um, back in two thousand five, and that was pretty amazing. I was meeting my hero and singing his song with my song that was influenced by his song. And that was pretty amazing. And then um, over the years, we've sung together many times. He, of course, played on my Christmas album. Uh, that was the first time we actually made a record together, which is crazy. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, he sang at my wedding. I sang at his wedding. And we've performed live together many times. Um, what did you sing at his wedding? I sang, ooh, I can't remember. I'm still standing. <laughs> you know, I'm forgetting. What did I sing at his wedding? Damn. What did he sing at yours? He sang Ribbon in the Sky at my wedding. Wow. Which was interesting. Or? No, he decided what he was going to sing. And uh, Kanye was like, can you go up there and sing? Because <laughs> uh, I had just sang. And he went up there. 
And the funniest part about Riven in the Sky was the cultural divide in who knew the song. <laughs> um, my family's there. They're black. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, my, some of my black friends were there and some mm-hmm. of my not black friends were there. Chrissy's and, black friends were not there. And <laughs> you guys weren't there, but, you know, uh, Chrissy's family's white and Asian. And um, it was very clear that Ribbon in the Sky really only got traction with black people. <laughs> um, I did not know that because I just assumed everyone knew Ribbon in the Sky. Yeah, yeah. But he's singing Ribbon in the Sky and all the white people and non-black people are like, what is this crap? <laughs> what is this new song? <laughs> I had no idea that that was like a black people only song or, you know, primarily so. Is it a big thing for you to to work with someone in recording in a studio together? Or can you get mailed a track and give your all to that and feel good about it? Yeah, I can get mailed a track. Uh, and I don't think y'all can tell the difference. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like audience can't really tell. Uh, and you can really get into it and give a great performance whether the person's there or not. Um, you know, there's certain times when maybe you need to play off of each other in a duet type of situation, but not really most of the time. Like, um, Does Rick Ross need to explain a vision to you for you to... A lot of times we'll talk on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll talk on the phone. and Or Jay. But I, I prefer to just listen to the lyrics and the beat because a lot of times I already have a, a verse written. Um, and I just want to listen to what they've already talked about and then try to write you know, within that theme. Uh, sometimes they'll have a beat that they want me to write a hook to before they even write lyrics. So I get to help dictate, you know, what the song is about. Was the Freemasons one fun? Yeah, that was yeah. fun. <laughs> uh, Magnificent, I think, was the first one we did together. Mm-hmm. And that one was a beat that they sent me and didn't give me any direction other than the word magnificent. <laughs> and I think he had in the, in his uh, verse, like I'm the magnificent. You yeah. Know? Uh, and, uh, and then we wrote, Devon and I actually uh, wrote the chorus together. What do you like to rap? Like, like when something comes on in the car, like what do you get excited to like rap? Or if you put Big something EJ, on. Big EJ, like I, I, I like like that era of mm-hmm. New York rap. Like uh, I tend to, that was like when I was going out more and like that was my that was my heyday. Yeah. And now, you know, it's like I think a lot of people love the stuff that connects to like these moments in their lives. And so those are the moments when I was out. I was partying a lot. I was in New York and like like that was my shit. Well, who who was popping in like Ohio when you were growing up? You have to understand when I was growing up in Ohio, I was like. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. I left uh, Ohio when I was 16. And I didn't really listen to hip hop that much as a kid. Uh, like in the early 90s, like Biggie and Snoop were starting to gain a lot of traction. Like Doggy Style came out and like all of our friends were listening to that. But I was definitely way more into R&B, like mm-hmm. New Jack Swing, yep. yeah. than I was in, like, of the current music. I also listened to, like, old school stuff. I had always was, like, an old soul. Um, but I, I was more into, like, well, what's Tony, Tony, Tony doing? And what's mm-hmm. Mint Condition doing? And what's Blackstreet or Guy and, you know, and uh, Belvedere DeVoe doing? Well, so was there ever a chance Mary that J doing? You and, would like, end up in a group? 
I sang in groups when I was in high school. Uh, you know, we were singing Jodeci and Boys to Men, and we we like were into R. Kelly and Public Announcement. Were you the lead? We liked the lead. Uh, we liked just all oh, that whole kind of early '90s uh, kind of R&B that was already getting that hip hop influence. Uh, uh, we were into that, and I was usually the lead singer in anything that I was in. Um, but what were the names of the groups? Oh. I forget, honestly. <laughs> Even Stevens. <laughs> my, well, my, my, uh, our first group that I was in was when I was really young. It was called the Stevens Five. It was my, me and my two brothers and my two cousins that lived around the corner that we used to play football and basketball with. We also sang with them. And they're, you know, wait, were they officially Stevens? Yeah. Okay. So, so my like... my dad's uh, brother's kids. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, they lived around the corner. We went to church together. We played together. We sang together. Everything. Were your parents into the fact they were that in the Christmas was, special? You, you that saw this was like you know, uh, like secular music. Well, at that time we were singing gospel yeah. when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but by the, by my teenage years, when you're covering Jodeci. <laughs> but that was my parents had gotten divorced, so everything was all the thrown out the window. Everything yeah. was yeah. thrown out the window. Yeah. Once your parents get divorced, they they just stop guilting you about <laughs> little things like singing secular music right uh, <laughs> that happened and your brother became a, uh, a, a black israelite hey, that didn't happen until a couple of years ago but uh. <laughs> i remember we went to uh vegas together um we were at uh oh billboard awards when chrissy was hosting oh yeah, yeah we mm-hmm. went to one oak, one oak yeah. Um, yeah. and i would say of the four of us none of us wanted to be in that <laughs> spot at that time uh-huh i think that we all like enjoyed hanging out together yeah. but all I don't love that... to eddie blackman yeah but <laughs> yeah we, we get paid to show up at parties sometimes and we're like counting down the hour we have to be there <laughs> yeah, yeah uh okay we need a a good mike jackson story and we need oh, a my. good michael jackson story mike jackson um mike jackson is my producing partner and he actually went to Penn State, which oh. is interesting. Oh, oh no. He oh, no. actually went to Penn State, which is funny because <laughs> at Penn, we would have these shirts that said not Penn State on them because <laughs> so many times you would you would tell your relative, you're, you're like in Ohio telling your relative you go to Penn, and they're like, oh, the Nittany Lions. Oh, Joe Pa. Um, and uh, no. <laughs> We're the terrible football team with great academics. Um Anyway, go uh, Buckeyes. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, my producing partner, Mike Jackson, um, uh, he formed Get Lit the Film Company with me and Ty, my manager. And um, I met him. He was my original manager. Um, we I had done that. You, demo. Put, you put your whole career in the in the hands yes. of someone who went to Penn State. Yes, yeah. indeed. <laughs> uh, I had that demo that I had done with that, that guy, Dan Coleman, I told you about earlier, who was a uh, Penn alumnus. And then I um, had um, started working with Dave Tozer, uh, the other guy I was working with when I was at Penn. And um, Ty introduced me to Mike Jackson. And he was like a mover and shaker around Philadelphia. He would like promote parties and stuff. And so he's and always been that way. Yeah, yeah, just, he's yeah. been that guy. He's like he knows he knows everybody. He's like now he a, lives at Soho House. He's like a <laughs> supreme networker. Like yeah, and, and it's not even fake. It's like yeah, no, this no. is that's who, who he is. is. Yeah, yeah, like this is this is his life's blood. Like he's really good at, at cultivating relationships. He remembers everyone's name. Yep. We were at a Halloween party last year <laughs> yeah. and we turned around and Mike was just like, what's up guys? And we we're like, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> I forget everyone's name. Mike knows everyone's name. He remembers their credits. Like, <laughs> like these are, Oh, this, he's your Gary from Veep. <laughs> yeah. He's, like he is the perfect producing partner because 
in Hollywood, that is like your currency. You have yeah. to know people's names, sure. know their credits, know what they do and how you can work with them. Yeah, and, and also like, small talk them. Yeah, and yeah. small talk them, and he's really good at it. Yep. So anyway, uh, at the time, he was doing that in Philly, and like he was like big man, you know, uh, on on non-campus in Philadelphia. <laughs> and um, he and a, a business partner of his started managing me. He was my first manager. And over the that didn't work out. Uh, I didn't get a record deal. I was getting frustrated, ended up signing with David Sonnenberg, and... And then uh, eventually, after all that, meeting Kanye and, and all those things coming together, I got a record deal. But uh, Mike started using that networking ability to work in TV and film. He was working for a production company out here. And he started to realize that uh, him knowing me and, and my reputation um, meant something in this town. And uh, he's like, John, we should start a production company together. I can leave this company. We can start something new. We started Get Lifted Film Company, and uh, we've done a lot of cool work together. Yeah. I would not have an EGOT if we didn't form <laughs> Get Lifted Film Company and do some really cool projects together. How about a Michael Jackson story? <laughs> Michael Jackson, the first time I met him was in Bahrain. Wow. Um, I was there um, in uh, probably like 06-ish. Um, they were doing a Formula One race there. Uh, and, there, you know, a lot of these countries will do Formula One races to kind of put their country on the map and uh, get more tourism to come there and get, you know, Europeans and Asians and all kinds of folks to come to their country. And Bahrain had started doing Formula One races. They invited some celebrities to come out. And at the time, you know, after uh, Michael was, you know, had all the legal issues and all the things that had happened with him, um, he moved to Bahrain to get away from it all and was living with the crown prince of Bahrain. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was kind of like their enticement. They were like, we can't promise you you're going to hang out with Michael Jackson, but he does live <laughs> with the crown prince and the crown prince is inviting you. So uh, they were like, you know, come to Bahrain. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to Bahrain. We went for a weekend. I raced in a celebrity Formula One race. And that was the very first time I'd ever driven a stick shift. <laughs> <laughs> You're a man from Ohio. <laughs> so I literally learned how to drive stick <laughs> and race the stick shift car in the same weekend and met Michael Jackson. <laughs> you, Upper West Side, New York <laughs> Times reading. I, yeah, drew, yeah. I drove only automatic <laughs> in Ohio my whole life <laughs> you know I'd started driving like I got my permit when I was 15 and, and it was always interesting because I would meet New York guys who like they were in their mid-20s they still never driven yeah 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 but and a lot of my friends at Penn were like that and uh but uh you know in Ohio you got to drive like there's not a lot of mass transit and all that stuff so you got to drive pretty young so I got my license when I was like as soon as I turned 16 took the test and, um, you know, I, I didn't tell you guys, but I, had, you know, I graduated when I was 16. Yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. I, I you didn't um, just run away. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I needed to drive. <laughs> yeah. um, I was like going out into the world and I needed to drive immediately because all of my friends in my class were two years older than me. And so I was behind everybody. But uh, Do yeah. you still drive? Uh, yeah, I drive. I drove here. Hmm. Yeah. What's your license plate number? <laughs> uh, well, I don't even know. <laughs> I really need you, I hope you know this song. I need you to sing the chorus to this song right there. Do you know that song by Drake? 
Oh my God, oh my God, if I die, I'm a legend. Oh my God, oh my God, if I die, I'm a legend. Amazing. Yeah. That's all I ever wanted <laughs> all right. for the past like four years. Well, John, congratulations on everything that's happened up until this point. Thank and you. thanks so much for coming through. And uh, we'll see you soon. My pleasure. And now we can stop bothering you about doing our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I always wanted to. Uh, this just truly never worked out. <laughs> this was easy. Thank you. So you guys are like six minutes from my house. Yeah. I'm going to drive right back up. And it was a great way to spend an hour. Right yeah. on. Thanks, John. Thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of A Waste of Time with the Real Jeff. If you want to find out more about us, I'm Eric, your Jeff from Summit Series. From Summit Series. Here I am. And together, we are the Hip Hop Sketch Comedians. It's The Real. If you want to find out more about this podcast, it's called A Waste of Time with It's The Real. Or Summit Series. <laughs> and if people want to find out anything that's going on with us, which Jeff Rosenthal you are, yeah. where can they go? Come on down to Provo, Utah. <laughs> We're hidden in the hills. <laughs> baking in the sun. There you go. You can also find us on itstherreal.com. Yes, sir. I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L. No apostrophe. No spaces. You can always find all of our old episodes and our new ones. Search for It's The Real. You can go to iTunes. Search for It's The Real. Spotify. Search for It's The Real. You can even go on SoundCloud. What? SoundCloud.com slash A Waste of Time. Or, yeah. Get this. Yeah. Castbox. All People right. fucking love Castbox. Shout out to Castbox. If you listen there, just good for you. Good yeah. for us. Good, good for, for everybody. everybody. Good for everybody. We all love Castbox. Jeff, uh, if you want to find us on socials, socials, go to Twitter and it's the real. Facebook and it's the real. Also, Facebook, yeah. Jeff Rosenthal <laughs> at summit.co. <laughs> <laughs> Let him know how much you love this and how much we should be down there. That's the goal. Also, his Instagram is Ref Josenthal. Really? I am It's The Real Jeff. Oh, that's easy. Also, It's The Real. Yeah. Guys. Actually, if you follow him, unfollow him. Yeah. And come on over to It's The Real. Get us. Get us. To Utah. Yes. Jeff. Okay, here's what we did this time. I said, hey, if you guys out there want us to shout out, not you, but a friend. Shout out to friend. Let us know. Tag them right here on Twitter. And what do people do, Jeff? They did. Well, most people follow the rules. Yeah, some people were like, they, they think that we're stupid. Oh, listen. And so they tagged themselves, and they said, like, this is my best friend. So what do we do? I mean, I guess they could be, that could be your best friend. So are we stupid then? We are, well, definitely. All right. So we're going we're gonna to read their names. Yeah. Regardless of whether it's them or a friend. Right. And we're going to do that right now. Yeah, but I'm going to make fun of them. Okay. All right. So shout out to Dolnenzo, who said that's my best friend, even though that is Dolnenzo. <laughs> shout out to Cyrese Wave, um, who is also Dolenzo's friend. Shout out to Sophie. Sophie Chichamaro. Hey! Who is Justin Fleischer's goddaughter. And best friend. And best friend. Shout out to KO959, who shouted out Mr. Presh. Shout out to Bam Beatsdown in Miami, who said DB Cutlass. Shout out to Garrett's Claire and Rhyme Beat. I also want to shout out Jay Splizzy and Miss Rheingold, who lives on the Air Force side here near us. All right. I also want to make mention of Encognito and Josh Simmons 103, and Yesterday Was Sad, and Dave So Talented. Shout out to New Face, who shouted out New Face. Shout out to Chill Moody, who shouted out his drunk alter ego, Drunk Chill. All right. I also want to shout out Skip from BK. Big shout out to Skip from BK. Who has listened to every episode of ours wow. here so far, and yeah. continues to do so every time. Amazing. We put out a new episode. 
He also is wanted to shout out What's a Good Guy podcast made by Don Peasley and Stay Focused LA. Uh, we should also shout out to Good Black Coffee who said, please shout out Sarah Sweat. She loves Mr. Legend. All right. Shout out to Grab a Coat who said, shout out Je suis Pong. Is that uh, really French? Well, it is now. All right. Shout out to Ozelby Swaggin, also from Incognito. Shout out to Hulk Hogan from Gucci on Sight. Like, really wanted us to shout out Hulk Hogan. Yeah. All right. Shout out to Multimedia Bob and his cousin Lolo Radio out in the middle of nowhere, California. Nice. She's on the radio. Shout out to both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Luigi, who's asking if we are going to be coming down to South by Southwest. I don't know yet. We don't know yet. So, I don't know. Okay. Shout out to Jeremy Heck and Josh M. Kerr. Shout out to Jazz Verdi out in London Town. Jazz, who shouted out himself. Uh, also, shout out. So, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Je suis Ponge was shouted out by Grab a Coat. Yes. But Je suis Ponge said, hey, shout out XWLKX. So, it's like a chain. Okay, cool. I'm with it. And then that guy said, shout out to I'm Slow Days, B. Miller, the producer. This is great. And then, I don't know if it continued on beyond that, but I, I enjoyed that. Shout out to Chief Pablo from Chino's World. Shout out to Rohan Music. It's his birthday, says Danny the Danager to Satnik. Happy birthday to you. Shout out to Ray Rodriguez out in Jacksonville. Yeah. And Mrs. El Katuk, his the wife. wife. That's right. Shout out to both of them. Hope all is well. Shout out to Carter Reeves, who shouted out himself. Not the rest of his band, though. Damn. Shout out to... Jeremy Corellis. Okay. Our great friend out in L.A. Who shouted him out, Jeff? We did. We are shouting out Jeremy. Well, he said, can you shout out my mom? She loves John Legend. Aw. So, shout out to her. Shout out to her. Big shout out to Trey Treo. Big Treyco. He wants to shout out his wife. They are celebrating their five-year anniversary this Saturday, and All of Me by John Legend was their wedding song. Also, Solomon Jones said to shout out Incognito, who had already shouted out five other people before. That's Tyler B305, says Josh from Dade County. Shout out to the Civil Rights Museum is free in Atlanta all month. That's from Young Reg down in Atlanta, who we met at That's the our, Trap Museum. That's our guy, Young Reg. And he sent us a gift for uh, for Christmas. He did. Nice. Very, very nice. Shout out to him. Also, shout out to Bayron Teddy, who said, me, LMFAO. LMFAO. We are certainly laughing our asses off. Yes. I can't believe we made it to the end of that. Jeff, be it and believe it. As always, guys, not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys next week. Brrrr! Oh,